Can I say I won't give it up? Doctor. May I call you doctor? Yeah. Uh, it, the title's correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Dan Puccio. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brian. It, it, it's an honor. Oh, like, no, I, I'm serious, on. man. Like, what I've been telling you, I have been listening to the podcast and I learned so much about all of my friends. Right. Things that I didn't know. It, it's, it's yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I've, I've been looking forward to this conversation. And we were chatting on the patio and we were getting into some juicy bits. And I said, you know, we have to, we have to save all the juicy bits for this podcast. But I'd like to typically start, and maybe you know this from listening to the podcast, but early musical memories, um, musical memories that really inform maybe who you are today, a, a musical memory that maybe inspired you to pick up the saxophone, um, uh, maybe a musical memory, uh, a record that was played in the house that that you said that kind of like you're like wait what is this like that sort of thing. Oh yeah. So hit me. Okay. Well, some of the earliest memories I have are growing up on the sales floor of my dad's music store. Hmm. Actually, I'm wearing the you the shirt. All right. Yeah. 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 Um, so my dad bought. Um, Kelly music from Mr. Kelly in 1974. And this is in upstate New in York? In Corning, New York. Yep. Okay. And, and Corning is where? Near where? Okay. Um, if you know where Rochester is. I do. Go 90 miles, almost straight south. Okay. Almost to the Pennsylvania border. Okay. Yep. It, and what is there exactly? Um, Corning Incorporated, the, the glass okay. company. Okay. So, uh, okay. Um, Corning's a very high-tech town. And I was a little strange growing up because I was one of the few kids that didn't have a parent working for Corning. Okay. My dad owned the music store. My mom was a second grade teacher. Awesome. Yeah. But it's a very heavy research and development town. Mm -hmm. um, fiber optics was invented there. In fact, I bought a saxophone from one of the gentlemen that invented fiber optics. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> funny story. Uh, I always knew him as Mr. Keck. Um, the older gentleman who would come and sing with our high school choir when we sang the hallelujah chorus. Um, and I'm working for my dad. I have to drop off a PA system at Corning Inc's, uh, research facility. Uh, it's called Sullivan park. And there's a giant banner, like 30 foot banner. Mm. And I look and I see, and it's, oh no, it's Dr. Donald Keck, who was part of the three person team that invented fiber optics. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you spend much time in Rochester? Was that the closest kind of big city to um, you? Rochester was the closest big city, although Elmira was mm. a thought of as the big city. Hmm. Um, Ithaca is 45 minutes away. Mm -hmm. um, but honestly, I kind of stayed close to Corning. I mm -hmm. didn't really get out much until I was in college. and then. So you did college. Where did you get your undergrad? All right. I did my undergrad at a small school in really northern New York called the Crane School of Music. Actually, I'm okay. wearing that. You're repping the whole, yeah. your, your history right here. I love <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's part of the, the SUNY mm -hmm. system at SUNY Potsdam. Mm -hmm. um, it's an hour south of Montreal, and dear God, is it cold. Oh, I bet. I mean, uh, my last year there, February, averaged about 35 below zero. Oh, my so, Did you get up to Montreal at all? Yeah, it was an hour south of Montreal. So one of my favorite cities on the planet. Oh, it was a blast. Um, <clears throat> you know, we go there every now and then, like catch the symphony, mm -hmm. uh, or you you go across the border um, just like Cornwall, twenty minutes away, so that you could you know have a beer with your mm -hmm. dinner mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. have a know. nice little bats. Yep. 
Yeah. Your Montreal experience, by the way, is very different from my Montreal well, experience. Well, I mean, you got to remember, I was, you know, 18 years old. I wasn't. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Um, well, and, I wasn't going to Montreal to go to the symphony. Let's no, just put, let's just leave no, it at but, that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was, I was very young and, yeah. you know, in music school and yeah. very, very focused on that. And, yeah. and, you know, I grew up in Corny, New York. It's a small town, like 10 to 12,000 people. Wow. So. Yeah, when I went to Michigan and people asked me where I went or where I was from, I would say, you know, Corning, the population of Corning can fit into Michigan Stadium about 10 to 15 times. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, yeah, negotiate? It's like, it's tiny. That's even smaller than my hometown. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's tiny. But the crazy part is there was a very vibrant music scene. Huh. Oh, yeah. I mean... Original music or just you um, know, music in every bar or, you know, um, about, I would say 70, 30, mostly, mm-hmm. mostly cover bands, but mm-hmm. there were some people doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, any famous bands out of corner? Uh, the most famous, there's actually a, a member of the rock and roll hall of fame to come from Corning. Okay. And that's Dwayne Eddy. Dwayne Eddy. Yeah. He was a rockabilly guitar player. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he was born in Corning graduated high school in bath and then came out to tucson and that's where huh. his career really kind of took off interesting yeah because maybe not a ton of rockabilly in yeah. corning not not really i mean some there there yeah. are some really great country players hmm. um yeah there was a, a telly player brad miller um scotty partridge who's now in nashville he owns a cigar shop um yeah there's a really great band called fireball express hmm. growing up hmm. um but you know a lot of great cover bands as well um you know uh one of my my absolute best friends his name's bob de um bob's a bass player we've known each other since we were about six months old wow yeah and have been playing together since fourth grade yeah um his dad was in a band he, several bands um a band called nighthawk um back in the 70s he was in a band called cole which actually had my middle school band director playing trumpet. Okay. Um, and then when we were in high school, he had the Rick DiGiacomo band, and that's one of the groups I started gigging with. Huh. I was about 15 or so. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was very fortunate because Corning's a small town, and my dad owned the music store. Right. Kind of a shoe-in. Well, that and every musician knew me. Right. Right. So once I started taking things seriously and, you know, was practicing and could get my way around the instrument. Yeah. This is high school. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I started getting early high school, like seventh, eighth grade. Yeah. And then started really playing out, you know, freshman year of high school on. Wow. Yeah. Um, and again, because the, the guys in the bands knew me mm-hmm. and also because of that, I couldn't get into too much trouble because they the guys knew. in the band knew, knew me yeah. and knew my dad yeah. and yeah. you know in in the school district they all knew my mom right you know right it was uh, like uh uh babysitters basically yeah on a level right um yeah or at least you know people that you know they give me the experience being on stage yeah but they'd also watch out for me and make sure that i wasn't falling into some of the traps that you can yeah we yeah. we got away from ourselves um well, and we started talking oh, about these early musical yeah. memories, but sorry, yeah. Yeah, so so like, okay, um, my dad, he's a guitar player and banjo player. He bought the store from the Kellys and met my mom through the store. Mm. My mom taught piano there. Mm. 
Um, and some of the earliest musical memories I have, like, is my dad listening to the Kingston Trio. He was mm-hmm. very big into the that folk revival mm-hmm. period. Um, so that's early 60s. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, um, you know, songs like Charlie on the MTA or, um, you know, Tom Dooley. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and then uh, he was also really into bluegrass. So... Huh. Earl Scruggs, Flatten Scruggs. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I remember listening to Earl Scruggs' Dueling Banjos record, you know, as a kid. Yeah. Um, and mom had this really great pop music collection. Like, she has the original pressing of Sgt. Pepper's. Wow. Yeah. And the original pressing of Rubber Soul. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Years ago, I was going through my parents' record collection. I'm like, wait, you've got, you have songs in the key of life? Like, wow. the original. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, but the record I most associate with my mom is um, Linda Ronstadt's Greatest Hits. Like, I remember she, she'd be, like, vacuuming on a Saturday <laughs> and put on that record. So, like, yeah. Know, now, I've, you know, I've done a couple of tribute shows where we've gotten to play some of those tunes. Uh-huh. So, like, playing When Will I Be Loved, playing You're No Good. Man. Yeah. yeah it, it brings back all these really really fond memories um when you hear the sound of a vacuum do you also hear that record no <laughs> no but you know i, I just, probably will now yeah just next time you're vacuuming yeah. just pause for a moment yeah. and, you know and the cool part and this is i i actually i brought it with me so okay. if you want if you want to put it on the podcast i am I am happy to have this happen. Okay. Um, so I started playing saxophone in fourth grade. I, honestly, I don't know why. I just knew I had to play it. This is the year, typically, same yep. for me, when they say, all right, if you want to be in band, you have to pick an instrument. Yep. So what what was the reason behind saxophone? Yeah. No, honestly, I don't know. I just, it was just this, I was drawn to it. I was mm-hmm. like... You know, one of those, I'm going to play saxophone. Was it because you had heard music with saxophone prior mm-hmm. to that? No, honestly, I have no idea. Yeah. But here's the craziest part. Um, when I was born, my grandmother gave me a little coin bank. Hmm. And on it are she two... She said, that's your well, retirement. Well, if, <laughs> I mean, we're... A yeah, well, <laughs> there's that. Um, but no, the craziest part about it is on the bank is a Gibson Super 400 uh, and a saxophone. Okay. And my two main instruments are guitar and saxophone. I've been playing guitar as long as I've I been playing saxophone. I didn't realize you are a guitar player. You, you don't grow up in a guitar shop and not learn. Okay. Good point. Yeah. Point I know. I've got... I have almost 20. What? Like, I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I've got... Bordering on uh, I have quite. I have quite the collection. Yeah. What's your favorite? Uh, my favorite guitar or instrument? Yes, guitar. Oh, man. Here. In your collection, there's acoustic, electric, all everything. Uh, or so there are three. Um, so I uh, f- about four years ago now um, wound up getting a hand built OM. Okay, it it's made by a luthier in Elmira, and honestly, if you're looking for a brilliant guitar builder, his name's Ben Burgett. It's uh, Koa back and sides, Adirondack spruce top mahogany neck and ebony fingerboard and oh my god i love this guitar no kidding it's it is unbelievable like you know the kind of instrument you don't ever want to put down Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then like it's singing before you even, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it rings for days, Mm -hmm. you know, and as I've been playing it, it opens up. In fact, um, for my dad's 80th birthday, we got Ben to build him a dreadnought, his version of a D 28 that complements my dad's Martin D 35. Yep. I do love a good Martin. Yeah. Now, I mean, electrics, I have two. Hmm. Um, one is the first guitar I ever owned. Which is a '91 Mexican Strat mm. that I've hot rotted the shit out of. I oh, bet. Oh, yeah. mom, dad, I'm going to swear. Sorry. <laughs> Just you know, get over it's it. Gonna, it's gonna happen. Sorry. Um, but no, I, um, um, Bob yeah. that I mentioned, yeah. he gave me the plan. So it's got um, a set of humbuckers that I can t- coil tap, and if I can get way nerdy about it, but yeah. but basically it'll give me almost every sound that I need, uh-huh. and the neck. Um, the neck feels incredible. Mm. And I've been playing that guitar literally. Did you modify the neck as well? No. Stock neck. No, stock neck. Yeah. But the crazy part about that neck is it feels exactly like my 91 Gibson SG. Hmm. And that was the SG for the longest time was my number one go-to electric. Hmm. And the reason why I couldn't use the Strat was because of the pickups. So when I hmm. had modded. some extra money, I yeah. modded it like crazy. Yeah. Now that's my number one. The, the SG is kind of my backup. Or like if I'm doing a theatrical show, depends on the sounds that you Sure. Need. Yeah. And you're gigging as a guitar player as well. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I'm, we're jumping all around. Oh. No, no, no. It's yeah. all good. Yeah, yeah. I, I love it. Um, let's, let's go. All right. So... Well, I haven't even asked about the banjos and everything yet. Oh, Jesus. Oh, that's part of the collection. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, I got five different banjos. Shit just and, got and real. <laughs> five different banjos, a few mandolins. I mean, a whole host of woodwinds. Okay. Um, yeah. I make my living as a doubler. Mm-hmm. Or my playing living mm-hmm. as a doubler. Performance, and, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And when I mean doubling, it's like, you know, Shay and I keep joking about extreme doubling. Yeah. Um, like the craziest book that I have, it's uh, for a show called, um, what was it? Uh, um, Take it easy. It's a tribute show to, done. to the Eagles. Uh, well, that's oh. part of it, but yeah, it's that yacht rock okay. era thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my book for that show is mandolin, five string banjo, six string acoustic, 12 string acoustic, electric, uh, tenor sax, flute, and backing vocals. Wow. And Jeez it's so Louise. much fun. Yeah. You know, cause like you're, you just, you're moving all the time. Yeah. And so I'm one of the weird guys that can do the, the fretted instrument side of things and then switch, switch to the, the woodwinds. Or, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So it gets me a lot of interesting work. Yeah, I bet. And, and being so versatile, um, I'm sure is an asset, yeah. obviously. Well, I mean, cause you can do with thousand different yeah. things and, and and Shay is a great example yeah. of someone, uh, as are you, yeah. um, where you never quite know what you can get. <laughs> you yeah, know, he might bring a B three or mm-hmm. a or a bass uh, clarinet. You know. Yeah. 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 So I guess circling back around. Yes. <laughs> on topic. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, I brought it with me. You can put it on the podcast. Yeah. Um, the first band I was ever in happened in fourth grade, mm-hmm. and. Um, my music teacher at the time, he's an old family friend, a uh, great trumpet player, great writer. Um, he, his name's Ken Vanetten and one of the greatest musicians I've ever had the honor of knowing. Hmm. Um, he can play literally everything. Hmm. Like, uh, he had a bluegrass group. He's a brilliant banjo player, but studied tuba and played trumpet as well. Hmm. 
and would do things in his show like play the coffee pot mm. like put a tuba mouthpiece in he, he would say it's the miramatic dripolator the stradivarius of coffee pots <laughs> you know and, and mr van etten you know um pulls me my parents aside pulls bob's folks aside and says hey let's put a band together huh. so it's me on saxophone bob de giacomo playing bass his son emmett playing drums and his daughter sarah playing keys um the three of us me emmett and bob are still playing cool yeah emmett's a professional drummer up in edmonton and bob's living in new york city and i'm here yeah and he had the foresight to record it wow so it's it's this not, is fourth grade this is you have i have a recording of a fourth grade dan puccio oh my god playing the saxophone it's it's not good but I have I, I, it, and I'm sure it's delightful. Well, I can't wait to hear. Well, it. no, I mean, I, I treasure it because, yeah, you, you know where you know it lets me know where I came from, right? Yeah, right. right. Um, and so yeah, like that was my first band, and then yeah. you know the next band I was in, I was it was in middle school. I was playing guitar. Um, you know, it was I I came into the band because of an injury. We were called Snafu, and uh, what happened was the their main guitar player, my friend Buddy Rogers, at the time. Um, broke his arm and they had a, a gig and so they asked me to fill in for him and mm. I took over and you yeah. know, and then we were a two guitar band from there wow. on out. Wow. Um, this is middle school. Uh, end of middle school, beginning of high school. Okay. And we played and, and we're a gigging band all through high school. Wow. And then clubs, um, bowling, birthday parties, uh, bowling alleys, birthday parties, graduation yeah. parties. Yeah. Um, Corning has a little, um, performance venue in the downtown. There's like a open square. They call it Centerway Square, and we mm -hmm. would play there. Uh, and the crazy part is, when we were in high school, you just start forming bands, mm -hmm. and it would be kind of the same core of people. But if you wanted to change styles, you just form a new band, play a different instrument, and mm -hmm. change the name. Hmm. So, like they f they formed a punk band called Highland Drive that I was a part of for a little bit. Um, what did you play in that band? Uh, I played saxophone in that band. It was yeah. kind of like pop punk uh -huh. and some Metallica tunes. And oh, yeah, it, it, it went all over the place. Yeah. Um, and then I was in this jazz, nine piece jazz band called uh, F Jazz at Willie's. <laughs> yeah. And then we decided to combine with the rhythm section from Snafu and the horns from Jazz at Willie's, and that we called it Fuzz and the Jazz Foos. <laughs> Yeah, I love early band. Oh, oh, oh yeah, I love it. And, and that was my first foray into writing and arranging for a horn section. Huh. And you know, um, I tell you, you, you learn a lot through failure, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so one of the first tunes we were going to do is uh, "Give Me Some Lovin'." You know, take it not the Spencer Davis version, but the Blues Brothers yeah. version. And I got all the transpositions for all the horns wrong, so that da na 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 na. Sounded like someone slamming their fist on the piano. They were, oh, it was so it was so bad. Um, you know, and eventually we figured it out and got right. it right. And we, you know, it was just a lot of fun. And that's what we did. Yeah. And so when I wasn't playing in those bands, I was performing with you know Bob's family in the Rick DiGiacomo band, or there was another band around town called the Sam Pallet Band, uh, run by a gentleman named Mike Giannone. And they had a horn section called the In Your Face Brass. And um, but tragically, uh, the trombone player, uh, the original trombone player was tragically killed in a plane crash. Wow. Um, yeah, he was the band director at the other high school in town, West High. I went to East. 
Um, yeah, it was like that was a devastating day for just the entire area. Um, and you know, so then they kind of added in new new bone players, mm-hmm. and every now and then, if they couldn't find somebody, then I'd show up and play the trombone parts on Barry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you know, I played with that band for years. Um, and you know, I went away to college, got came back, and would continue to work with both both Rick DiGiacomo band and Sam Pallet, and that was how I was making my extra money over the summer besides mm-hmm. working for my dad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, public high school yep. in, in a good uh, school mm-hmm. band program? Obviously, oh, it, 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 it sounds like there was, was a, a lot of talent. It was a good school band program. Um, you know, like the, the, the playing was taken seriously. They were, um, you know, it was a really great environment. Um, the outstanding part was our choir hmm. actually. And yeah, so the dirt, uh, dark, dirty secret is that I actually went to Allstate in New York two years in a row for voice. No kidding. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I went as a member of the mixed chorus in New York. You can only go to Allstate twice your junior year and senior year. I went as a tenor in the mixed chorus my junior year and uh, as a tenor in the vocal jazz ensemble my senior year. Hmm. Um, but yeah, our, our choir, the choir department at East, it was crazy. Um, it was like really like high level, like Baroque and Renaissance music. Hmm. Hmm. So I, I knew very little about classical music when I went to music school, but I had all this like, crazy experience, like, um, had sang the, um, the Vivaldi Gloria. We sang Haydn Creation Mass. We sang, um, our madrigal choir did the Palestrina Misa Brevis. We like, there are tenor parts to Palestrina motets that hmm. I still know from memory hmm. and hmm. could still sing hmm. like. Um, you know, our, our theme song was the Palestrina Motet Sikut Chervus. And like it, you know, almost 30 years later, it's still, it's still, it's still there. there. Yeah. 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 So what made you decide it? You said U of M was your undergrad. Uh, no, uh, Potsdam. Potsdam, the SUNY. Yeah. Yeah. And that was for music. You kind of yep. knew already. You're like, oh, this is my, this is what I'm doing. Seventh grade. I heard the Tower of Power album live and in living color. There, it has that 20-minute version of Knock Yourself Out with the long Lenny Pickett solo. Mm-hmm. And I basically just heard that and said, I have to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm. I've got to figure it out. I've, I, that That's it. And all along the way, are you taking like private lessons yep. and, and, and f- primarily saxophone uh, or a little bit of everything? Uh, both saxophone and guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, so my guitar teacher was a gentleman named Steve Pio, brilliant guitar player. Um and great singer too, uh, and my saxophone teacher. Unfortunately, he's passed on, um, but his name was uh, David Schmiering, hmm. and David actually taught a whole slew of really great saxophonists. Um, hmm. you know, a gentleman who's now in San Francisco, Jonathan Hostadel, um, Colin Gordon, who's part of the Air Force. I believe it's the Band of the West. Uh, he's a jazz saxophonist with them. Um, another kid, Marcus Deloro. Like, I mean, it was. Corning was this really strange place where hmm. these like kick-ass saxophone Heavens. players were just like coming out yeah. left and right. Huh. Yeah. And it was because of David hmm. that you went to SUNY Potsdam. Yeah. So the agreement I had with my parents is I needed to get a music ed degree. Yeah. And for what? I mean, well, what was the agreement? Well, the, the idea, if I were to go to music school, it was going to be 
for music ed because that way there was a career path. Mm. Um, and I'll be honest, I'm so grateful for that. Mm. Like I wanted to go to Berkeley. Mm. Couldn't afford to go to Berkeley. It was, mm. you know, it was crazy expensive Even back, then, back yeah. in the late 90s. It's right. now, you know. Forget about it. Yeah. Um, so I needed to go to a state school. Mm -hmm. um, and I auditioned it at Potsdam. Um, Where is yeah. Potsdam again? Okay. So if, if this is like the northern part of New York, it's like there. Okay. It's uh, said near Ithaca then or uh, Syracuse. I grew, I grew up near Ithaca. Pots, oh. Potsdam's 90 miles north, uh, 81 miles north of Syracuse. Okay. Okay. Got you. So yeah, you're kind of in the meat of it. Uh, yeah. Like way, north. way, way north. They okay. call it the North country. Okay. Got good you. reason. Um, yeah. Burlington's like an hour and a half to the east. Got you. Okay. So Plattsburgh mm -hmm. then. Uh, just south of Plattsburgh. Okay. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That area yeah. of New York. Yeah. 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 You know, where it's so cold that you really have nothing to do other than drink and practice. Love it. Yeah. It's a good way to stay focused. Yeah. You know I mean? And, um, that was, I lucked out, man. Hmm. Um, this the, is early nineties. Yeah. This is ni uh, 98. 98. Yeah. I was a freshman in the fall of 1998. Nice. And what happened was I went up to Potsdam. I, I honestly thought I wasn't getting in because they had scheduled me for a voice audition and not a saxophone audition. Interesting. Yeah. And I caught the professor as he was leaving. And back then he was Mr. McAllister. Now he's Dr. McAllister. Um, anyone who's listening that knows classical saxophone will know the name Tim McAllister. He's mm. now the professor at Michigan. Hmm. Yeah. He's, he's, a legend in the classical saxophone world, which um, is which is kind of an oxymoron when you think well, about it. He, he, okay, we call it classical saxophone because there's not really a good term. Uh. Because okay, you know, yeah, classical music. If you want to be super particular, right? It's Let's do it. It's that you know the classical period happened from 1750-ish death of Bach to 1825 death of Beethoven. Right? That's like. <laughs> I love the this like genre bookends well, with well, two deaths. Well, well, yeah, because uh, the, you right. know, and the, the basically in okay, you know, the the hardcore musicologist will be like, but Beethoven's late stuff was romantic. Yes, uh -huh. you know, so I'm speaking very like broadly, very broadly. Okay, and, you know, um. I'm gonna, but, am I going to get like hate mail no, from classical no, no, people? I, I would hope not. All right, well, and and if, and if they do. I'm just going to forward that email yeah, to you. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Please do. And I'll be like, yes, you're right. It's more technical than that, but okay. come on. Like, yeah. You know, right. I mean, I'm talking for my, my mom here. These you know? broad strokes. Yeah, We're not, exactly. Okay. okay. So, you know, but if you want to be particular, yeah, that's the, the mm -hmm. classical era. But we don't really have like a great term. Concert saxophonist, yeah, okay, that's kind of the nomenclature now. Mm -hmm. But... Even then, it's kind of missing art music. Eh, well, then we're saying what pop music isn't artful. I, I'm not entering right, into that. Right. So, yeah. but but saxophone for the lay person, yeah, isn't typically found in classical music. No. Well, yes and no. Okay. Okay. Let's split some hairs. So, well, we got okay. time. All right. I, I have <laughs> I have a doctorate in this shit. So uh, <laughs> you want to talk saxophone nerd? I, I am your, your guy. guy. <laughs> I mean, I have five degrees. Well, four degrees depending on who you talk to. But okay. a lot of degrees, a lot of pieces of paper that say and, you know stuff. Well, that show that I'm a really big nerd about it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so the saxophone, you know, again, we don't know the actual date. It's not like Doc Brown and the flux capacitor. Right. So generally speaking, and again. 
I'm being broad here, yeah. but we tend to use the, the patent instead of like, oh, on, you know, August 13th, 1836, Adolf Sachs had the idea. Hmm. Since we don't really know, hmm. the safest route is, you know, June of 1846 when the patent was issued. June 1846, the patent for the saxophone was, was filed yeah, or yeah, accepted it, yeah, or Yeah, whatever. issued in issued. Paris. Wow. And that seems late to me. Yeah. I'm just going to say it seems yeah. late. No, it's, it's a very recent instrument. Interesting. Yeah, we're, we're, we're coming up on 200. Like the crazy thing is you is can... Is the party at your house, by I, the way? I will throw one. Please do. I will absolutely and throw one. And I want to go to this yeah. saxophone 200-year yeah. party. Um, the crazy thing is... So sax invents it, and it was designed to be a classical instrument. It was designed hmm. to be an orchestral instrument. Um, and again, super broad strokes, but the general gist of it is sax was kind of a jerk. Hmm. And the guy. Yeah. Not the instrument. No, but he he basically, um, you know, he's responsible for the modern bass clarinet hmm. as well. Hmm. Like that key work. You know, hmm. he was a brilliant inventor, but angered the instrument makers union so much that... And where is this? I'm sorry, in, in France. Par in Paris. In Paris. Yeah, Sax is from Dinant, Belgium, but hmm. moved to Paris. Hmm. And, you know, with all of this, you know, basically, like, they kept filing lawsuits to get the patent thrown out his factory was firebombed hmm. i mean you name it it was done hmm. and the saxophone got basically blacklisted in the orchestral community because he pissed off the union hmm. the, the the makers union hmm. um so he went with the band route and held like basically like a, an american idol style competition the french military band as it was and then his own band hmm. And the audience voted. And that his band was and better. And his band was better. Mm. And so the saxophone was adopted into the French military band system. Yeah. Um, mm. He was smart about it because he, he bought a publishing company and was commissioning composers left and right. Mm. Um, Did he come from money? Um, I don't know how wealthy his dad was, but his dad was, uh, he started off as a cabinet maker and was, became the instrument maker to the king of Belgium. So he's doing all right. Yeah, I mean, stable employment. Yeah. I don't, I don't know financially what that means in today's dollars, but, right. Right. but you know, he he kind of was groomed into it. Huh. And actually, sax held degrees in I know flute and clarinet, and I think voice from the Br Brussels Conservatory. Mm. Uh, uh, double check me on the voice one. I mean, totally fact check me. I'm. I, I Trust have, me, all my listeners, hey, I have, they're, they're constantly fact-checking yeah. and well, sending no. me uh, emails about hey, it. I have two young kids. My memory is not what it once was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I love them dearly, but my memory is... <laughs> Shot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so it was designed to be a classical instrument mm -hmm. and then wound up getting co-opted into jazz. Mm. You know, and well, first, I would say and marching bands. Marching bands, right? absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, in the U.S., the, the Sousa band, the Gilmore yeah. band, and the, the Fillmore band were all mm -hmm. major proponents of that. I mean, Sousa, there's a whole, like, there are books written on the saxophone soloist with the Sousa band. Mm. Um, you know, and the most famous one was a guy named H. Benny Henton. And I mean, he played thousands of concerts in his career. Um, and then it moves into early jazz and the vaudeville era. In fact, uh, um, in my dissertation, I, I cite both Rudy Weedoft and Eddie Van Halen. Nice. Uh, yeah, oh, that was a goal. You're going to make my brother so happy. Every time I see my middle brother, Jeff, yeah. 
we do a deep dive. He's a crazy Eddie Van Halen oh, freak fan. Yeah. Love like, and so whenever we hang, and this just happened a couple of weeks ago. Hours later, we're just like bleary eyed listening to the shit, trying to deconstruct it. Yeah. So I got to play on the prototype of the fifty one fifty combo. Really? Yeah. Um, early on, this is way back in the early nineties. Uh, I want to say it was like ninety summer of ninety four. It's a good um, year for me. Yeah. Or it might have been ninety three. I'm double. Worst year for me. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, so. You know, I was working for my dad, and we took a trip down to PV Electronics. Oh, we cool. were a big PV dealer, and they had a dealer training seminar in audio and like live sound and and everything. And I'm actually the youngest person to have ever completed that training. Huh. Um, and one of the days we got to demo some of the new products, so I got to play on the 5150, the the 212 combo, that prototype. Yeah. Wow. Put one on order that day. Yeah. You know, and then as soon and as got it was it wholesale, they, well, Cha-ching. you know, I, I, I won't say wholesale. I'll say that, you know, there were some advantages to your dad owning a music store. Oh, oh know, yeah. I mean, you know, most kids, they spend their money on, you know, comic books, candy, whatever. I spent my money on gear mm-hmm. and recordings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because I was, I was that, that kind of music nerd and yeah. wanted the gear and wanted the recordings. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I bought, I, I actually had two of the 5150-212 combos. Hmm. Bought one, sold it, bought another one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I regret to this day selling the second one. Oh, really? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, it was an amazing, it, it, it did one thing. Mm-hmm. It did that one thing better than anything, anything on the planet. Else, yeah. So for the work I was doing, I needed a more versatile amp. Right. Right, but man. I mean, you want yeah. you want that sound, right? That's it. Yeah, and That's I mean, I was an Eddie, huge Eddie fan. I mean, I had like a hundred different Van Halen posters on my wall. Yeah, yeah. That, What's your favorite Van Halen record? You know, it's a toss up for mm-hmm. me. Okay, um, waiting between waiting. Van Halen two mm. and Diver Down. Diver Down. Yeah, which man. most people don't like Diver Down. My thing is, it's so ridiculous on so many levels. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that version of Pretty Woman, mm-hmm. uh, right? You know, you got Hang 'em High, Cathedral's on there. Cathedral. Uh, little guitars. Mm-hmm. But then you get Big Bad Bill is Sweet William. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and his yeah. dad's playing clarinet. Yeah. Right? yeah. It's so it's it, it's the one drop the needle that I use to stump everybody. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And now the cat's out of the bag. But right. you know, because they're like, wait, what is this? Right. That's it's who? Right. And, and they would but they would do that shit, man. Yeah. Like they would put kind of a swing tune or yep. or um even later, uh 1984, yep. a great record. But they'd always throw in these like Curveballs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and then, uh, and actually, here's the other fun fact. Um, my final doctoral recital, hmm. after I finished playing, I hit play on my computer hmm. and played Happy Trails from nice. Diver Down. Nice. <laughs> yeah. My, you know, back in the, I grew up in Massachusetts and I had some friends in, in, mm-hmm. that, that were, let's see, I was a drummer at that time and, and I had a friend who played saxophone and a, a friend who played trumpet and we would all, all carpool to jazz and we were in a marching band together and concert yeah. band and anyway um we had a little singing group and we would sing happy trails yeah. because it, it's just such a 
it's there's so much space for really great vocal harmony. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I would do the who cares about the oh, yeah. just Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just Sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy There are some album covers that you will never be able to forget. Yep. In 1984, with the angel with the cigarette. Yep. Oh, absolutely. It's just iconic. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I, it doesn't matter in, in a new context. If I see an angel smoking a cigarette, I'm like, yeah, it's, that's it's, Van Halen oh, 1984. Absolutely. Yeah. But what a great fucking record. Oh, um, oh yeah. Well, and you know, you talk about those formative years, right? Mm. So for me, I started working for my dad at nine mm. and I worked there all the way until, um, basically until he sold the store. He sold mm. the store to my brother-in-law. Mm. So I don't really work there anymore. I'm not on payroll. And that's, it's not anything untoward. It's that I live out here full time. Right. And so when I, you know, when I get back home for a week, right. I need to see my folks instead sure. of go and yeah, right. work. Right. You know, uh, and Ben. Are they still back there? Oh yeah. They're still in New York. And, um, and in fact, Ben is doing great. This is your stepbrother. Uh, brother-in-law. Brother-in-law. Sorry. Yeah, and like he's building his own guitars now. Cool. Yo, it's it's really. Has he awesome. been out to Roberto Venn and checked that out? Um, he, he hasn't yet. I'm trying to get him out to do that. Heck yeah. Um, but early on at the store, sorry, I'm I'm like forward and back and forward. Dan, and back. Dan, um, this is a spaghetti. The, yeah. This podcast is a bowl well, of spaghetti. Welcome to my last name. <laughs> <laughs> my grandmother owned an Italian restaurant. So. No kidding. Yeah. Do you have some like killing recipes up your sleeve that I, you're not sharing with me? I use her. I have my version of her sauce recipe. Mm. Um, where, where in Italy? Uh, she was from Catania. Uh huh. Yeah. Where is that? Um, it's on the med side or uh, the, or the. It's on the boot side. Uh, on the on the yeah, on the east side. It's on the east side towards the right near Messina. Okay. Toward, towards the toe of the boot next to Loggins right yep. the classic Italian oh, city of Loggins yep. and then Messina is the suburb yep. of that yep and apparently mothers don't dance there and <laughs> Papa, papas don't dance <laughs> yeah. and moms they don't like rock and roll right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah let's take a little break sure. and, then, and then we'll go from uh, Potsdam well, SUNY yes sir. I was gonna say before we do let mm-hmm. me loop back um, so those middle school years there was a gentleman that worked for my dad, and I'd be totally remiss if I didn't mention him. Um, he worked for my dad. He's, he's since passed on, but his name was Mike Holton. Mm. And Mike was a great guitar player. Um, but one of the biggest musical influences I've ever had, mm. um, he introduced me to shred guitar, like shrapnel records. I was listening to you know, Brett Garcet and Sean Lane and course the you know, the satriani's vise mm-hmm. and malmsteins but also brilliant acoustic guitar players like phil Kagi, 
Um, he had me, I was listening to Brian Eno music for airports, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like in seventh grade hearing mm-hmm. all this mm-hmm. shit, you know, between that and Bob listening to, you know, like one of the first records I had was the Brecker brothers, heavy metal bebop and mm-hmm. Jocko's first mm-hmm. solo album mm-hmm. because, you know, that's what his dad was listening to. So mm-hmm. it's like that kind of stuff really helped inform where I was headed as well. Hmm. So sorry, I did just, but timeline no, wise, that's yeah. no, that's perfect. And that puts a good bow on it because yeah. now you're taking all this juice, everything around you mm-hmm. and synthesizing it, finding what you like. But, but you know, so much yeah. of, I think who we are today is a result of being exposed to so much different mm-hmm. music. Oh, absolutely. And, and were it not, you know, I don't, we haven't even talked if you have siblings, but mm-hmm. there's so many different influences beyond your own capacity to, to listen yeah. or, or where you find music, maybe the radio, but your parents' record collection mm-hmm. or what the tapes that your brothers had or, you know, or friends that were influential or band leaders that were influential. Yeah. So this is like, that's the moment, you know, middle school, high school, it's, it's the mixing, it's the mm-hmm. melting pot and you're getting exposed to all this crazy music and you, and you get to like handpick now. This is what I like, and this is what I want to mm-hmm. follow. So this is a, a great moment. We, we'll take a little break. Sure. I'm going to, maybe this is the moment where we play this recording. Sure. Feel free. <laughs> we'll be right yeah. back. <laughs> Potsdam Sumi. So you, you... Uh, so I, I do my undergrad at Potsdam, yeah. uh, where I study with Tim McAllister. No, mm-hmm. he's Doctor McAllister. I remember the date he sent out an email that morning. He's like, you know, uh, just studio business, like Mister McAllister. And then about an hour later, we get an email. Hey guys, what's up? You know, Doctor McAllister. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And having gone through it now, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. And it's a yeah. rite of passage oh, and, yeah. and you've worked so hard. Yep. Let's yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, Put that doctor he's, in front of that yeah. shit now. Yeah. And, and I mean, and you know, so yeah, Tim, I've had four saxophone teachers in my life. David in middle school and high school. And then Tim McAllister mm-hmm. or Dr. McAllister, they, you know, um, at both Potsdam as an undergrad, I'm part of the first class he ever auditioned. Mm. So I'm one of his first students. Um, there were, there was a freshman class his first year there, but he didn't audition them. Mm-hmm. Um, so my year was the first year he actually auditioned. Um, and he turned Potsdam into, again, this just saxophone powerhouse. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I was extraordinarily lucky to have, you know, fallen in with him. Um, I mean, he is... I would say arguably the preeminent classical saxophonist in the world right now, or at least one of them. Mm. Um, you know, and he's known me my entire adult life. Mm. 
You know, like it, it's funny you're on some of these Facebook pages and they're like, oh, you know, I heard Tim McAllister does this or Tim McAllister does that. And I was like, I had coffee with him yesterday. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know he, he got me kind of hammered on my 23rd birthday. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, but but really, truly like, man, uh, as an undergrad, as someone who really like I had a lot of experience on the working musician side, mm-hmm. you know. You wanted me in a bar band, I knew what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cause I'd been doing that since I was 15. But, um, I didn't know there was so much. I just didn't know about classical music and mm-hmm. music school. Like I know a lot of people say, Oh, music school wasn't for me or whatever. I fucking loved it mm-hmm. so much. And this is a question. Did you, did you, and you said you made a deal with your parents about yep. about an undergrad in music. Music ed. And did mm-hmm. you always envision becoming a teacher? Um, yeah. I, th- I I was thinking more the professor route. Okay. Um, or at least, you know, having that be part of everything. Now, um, having an undergrad in music ed, so my, my certification w- would be K-12 mm-hmm. music. Um, at Potsdam, you did the band track and I'll be honest, man, like that music ed degree has served me so well mm. in not just in terms of how I teach, but thinking as a session musician, mm-hmm. as a producer, as an engineer, you know, because like when I'm brought in to, to work on the production side, um, I can translate quickly, mm-hmm. you know, once I figure out, oh, the artist, you know, because I've worked in on the the working musician side, you know, it's like, oh, they're looking for this to communicate that to the session players. Guys, you need to do this, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's like, and a lot of that comes from my music ed background. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's really cool. What was that? What was that program like? I mean, I I never took a music class okay. in my life. Um, but what would a, what what did the undergrad music degree look like? Okay, so um, it's four, or yeah, for music ed it was nine semesters, uh, or sorry, seven semesters. I'm thinking it was a four year plan of applied lessons. So four years of saxophone lessons, hmm. or you know, or seven semesters of it, and then you student teach for a semester. Um, two years of music theory classes, some upper division electives. Um, you had these things called methods classes where, you know, for a semester and Potsdam, did, they did it at least when I was there differently than like the way ASU does it, where ASU, it's like you take clarinet for four weeks or five weeks out mm-hmm. of the semester and then Move saxophone. To, yeah. Yeah. So Potsdam, and for me, I think it worked better if you took, you know, they would pair instruments. So like oboe bassoon. Mm-hmm. Or one semester, mm-hmm. and oboe was mm. on Tuesdays, bassoon was on Thursdays for the mm. entire semester. Mm. Flute, clarinet were the same way. Got you. Yeah, uh, I almost failed tuba methods. Mm. I was just a terrible tuba player. Mm. Uh, you know, I was playing saxophone so much that mm-hmm. my face right. didn't work for brass instruments. Right. Very Interesting. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you had those, and then you had your your actual like music ed classes where they talked about like classroom management, how to write lesson plans. Mm. You know. Um, what, what topics in education, the, the actual how to teach. Hmm, mm-hmm, okay. So there's an element of the teaching process. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. 
beyond the mastery of several instruments. Yeah, yeah, it's because, you know, I mean, we've all met the the person who's like brilliant on their instrument. Mm-hmm. But can't convey what they're doing. I don't know, man, I just kind of do it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not to say that that's no, me. I'm no. not a master of an instrument, but I I can't you know, yeah. if I sit down in a room with real musicians, I can't. I, 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 I hate that shit. I know, but that's. No, 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 no. <laughs> Don't. No. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'm going to. Fuck you. I'm a doctor. <laughs> no. Okay. Sorry. And, and here's. Because this, this is my thing, right? It's not. You are. It's not that you're not a real musician. You have a different training and a different. Slant yes. yeah. and different understanding. Yeah. You know, okay. It's I like I just can't communicate. So yeah, but that's that's translation. Right. That doesn't make them better or more real, or what they do better or more real than what you do. And I'm. That is one of the. That is a hill I will die on. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I I get you it. Know, I, I mean, feel it. Okay. I started my doctorate, and this is at, the, 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 this is in 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 Arbor. Uh, no, I started my doctorate at U of A. I, I did my doctorate at U of A and then transferred to ASU. Okay. So, and then I'm going out of time, but this story is important. Okay. Um, I wound up, I was in the halls, I was practicing late, as I always tended to do, and ran into another person who had just started the doctoral program. And he says, yeah, man, we're doctoral students. We're like the kings of the music school. Isn't it awesome? And I said, yeah. And isn't it funny how everyone we study in music school never went to music school? Mm-hmm. You know, point being, it was my path mm. and it was a wonderful path for me. And if I had the chance to do it over again, without a doubt, I would make the same decision in a heartbeat. Mm. It doesn't make me a better musician than, than you. It doesn't make me, you know, like, you know, I'm not more artistically elite none of that mm-hmm. it just means that i have a certain amount of training now in certain instances yes it makes me more qualified if we're both applying for a full-time professorship i'm more qualified than you <laughs> right but that's a very specific situation <clears throat> right. and it doesn't mean that you don't have cultural and artistic value mm-hmm. and that's where you know like for me man Mozart and Hendrix occupy the same artistic space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. and like I said, that is a hill I will die on. Mm-hmm. So, so you don't, you know, I I think this is an interesting point, and I'm not really sure where I'm going with sure. it, but you know, you having gone through um, this particular training, yeah. and and me not having gone through this particular training, I I I agree with you. That, that we are both musicians. I, yeah. I understand that. I'm just saying that, is there, a, or maybe I'm asking this question, yeah. is there a stigma maybe between academia and, and that training and, and kind of the boots on the ground, the cats that just get out and play, you know? Yeah, you know, and... Or does it go the other way? Like, is there a... I, st- like, I, I, I think there it's a... Yeah, little of column A, little of column yeah, B. A little bit of both, yeah. You know, because I've met, you know, I've I've worked with so many wonderful people, and I've been beyond fortunate um, 
you know, not just in, in terms of the friends that I've made and the people I've played with, um, but the places I've been able to work and teach, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and yeah, I've found a little bit of the, well, you know, you should be, you know, Hmm. You, you you should be super artistic and that's not artistic you know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but it's i've been lucky enough where it's been very rare mm-hmm. like you know tim never once told me don't play rock and roll saxophone mm-hmm, mm-hmm. tim never once told me don't play jazz hmm. you know um i was lucky enough i taught i was on faculty at interlochen for six years i saw that i saw that yeah um, I taught at the arts camp for six years. I was one of their, um, when they first started offering jazz private lessons, I was their hire. Um, it was supposed to be a one-year job. It turned into a six-year job. And I'd, and this it, is a prestigious... Yeah, it's the largest pre-college arts camp in the world. In Canada? Uh, no, it's in, it's Michigan? in Michigan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's in <clears throat> Traverse City. It's like yeah. right there. Got you. Thank um, you for, for the, yeah, for for the, the mitt. I need the Anyone mitt. that's Anyone lived that, in Michigan, everybody yeah. that, that's from there. Understands you. Put yeah, your hand yeah, up. It's, yeah. You have Got to. You. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, the people that have gone to Interlochen, like... Todd Shuba. Todd. Um, let's see, Sam Palafian went there. Carol Yonch, who's the tuba player in the Philadelphia Orchestra. Josh Groban. Nora, Heard of him. Yeah, Nora Jones. Heard of her. Yep. Um, if you it's know, an incredible program. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's yeah. just like it's you know, name after name shit. after yeah. name after name. Yeah. And I never went there. I didn't mm. even know it existed. But as a master's student, I got hired on the faculty. So this, sorry, yeah. I, and, I, I'm a sucker for a timeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is, this is after SUNY. Yeah, this is after go, my first year at U of M. And, you, and what are you doing there? You're getting your master's at that point. Yeah. So I, I graduate from Potsdam. I did... What's a, the year on that? Uh, it was the fall of 2003. So I graduate from Potsdam in 2003 with... So depending on who you talk to, I had always thought I was a double major. I, did a, I was a performance major and music ed major with a jazz minor because they didn't have a... Uh, a jazz program major yeah. well they had a jazz program i mean the the gentleman that ran it brett zavacek was he still is an absolute genius hmm. i mean i learned more about writing from music from him you know and um you know he he's a north texas guy and brilliant trombone player great arranger hmm. and great composer hmm. yeah um and, and um you know, just they didn't have enough funding and didn't gotcha. have the curriculum to mm-hmm. have a major. So mm-hmm. otherwise I would have done that too. Um, but I always thought, okay, I was a performance major, music ed major. I followed the degree path for both of them. I did two undergrad degrees. Come to find out okay, um, that it's listed as a single degree with two majors. It's a semantic mm-hmm. thing, but I was like, okay, mm-hmm. you know. Um, wah, wah, yeah, wah. you know, but... Again, no regrets. Right. Would totally do that again in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So two years in at, in 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 Ann Arbor. Uh, three in school and then another year uh, prof- professionally. Yeah, yeah, I was just playing professionally, um, playing in clubs and yep. doing the do yeah. as a saxophone player primarily. Yeah. Or yes. Yeah. So so I graduate from Potsdam and I get in at Michigan and you have to understand the classical saxophone studio at Michigan is highly competitive the the teacher there was a gentleman named donald sinta 
in the classical saxophone world, um, studying with, with Cinta would be like, um, be like studying home run hitting with Babe Ruth. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's one of the major, um, teachers and performers of classical saxophone from that second generation Mm -hmm. as it were. Mm -hmm. Um, basically the big three, Mr. Cinta, Eugene Rousseau at Indiana and then Minnesota. He went from Indiana to Minnesota and Fred Hemke at Northwestern. Mm-hmm. Um, and he Your was... Your ability to recall names is 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 really astounding. Oh, thanks. I, you, I, I'm, I jokingly say I'm Santa Claus. <laughs> You've been keeping a list, tell me. Well, well no, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm lucky. Yeah. You know, because no. like, so you know, Tim McAllister, his teacher was Donald Sinta. And so I went step from studying with you know my teacher to his teacher mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and some jedi shit right there do you, i you would a lesson with cinta yeah absolutely mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. um and potsdam was wonderful um but i became the artist that i am at michigan mm. and the reason why is because potsdam didn't necessarily have the same facilities it didn't have the same you know, the, the opportunities at Michigan were different and it, it's not a knock against Potsdam whatsoever. It's the stark reality of the finances are drastically different when Mm -hmm. you go from a small SUNY school Mm -hmm. of 5,000 students to the university of Michigan Mm -hmm. that has a $12 billion endowment and 38,000 students. Right. Right. Yeah. Totally. Um, it, Yeah. Any any memories, any musical memories from your time in Ann Arbor? Oh God, so many. Hmm. Um, I mean, well, we were talking about the Ark. Oh yeah, uh, playing. I got to play at the Ark with Chris Potter. He mm-hmm. came in and played with the, the Michigan. Uh, I wish. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <low laughs> no, he need, he need. <laughs> yeah. Next time you see him, he's got the scar. And, yeah, now, I, now, Chris is one of the great jazz saxophonists mm-hmm. of of the modern era. Um, and so, yeah, we played at the Ark with Chris, uh, played at the Ark with Tim Reese, uh, wound up um, seeing Dave Bromberg at the Ark. Mm. Um, an old family friend, Jeff Weiser, plays or had played fiddle with Dave for years. Mm. And mm. so we got to go and hang out. Dave Wiseman? Uh, Dave Bromberg. Oh, Dave Bromberg. Yeah. Jeff Weiser's the fiddle player. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking of... um. Wiseman. No, no. Who? who oh, Grisman. Uh, Grisman. Yeah, the mandolin player. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no, no. Another <laughs> serious badass. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I wound up. Um, I, I got. We did the the jazz ensemble at Michigan partnered with the dance department one night uh, for a show, and that's where I met uh, my dear friend Shauna Steele, who's a choreographer I still work with, hmm. um, and we put together. My master's, I should show you my master's recital. It turned into, for for the jazz degree, um, one of the requirements was a recital that used improvisation in different modes. Mm. So some people would improvise with a poet. Some people would do like a a jazz thing. Um, Mm. I rented out the the video studio at U of M. Across the street from the School of Music, they have a full-on video production facility and full recording studio. Wow. So I rented both of those and did this thing called the Positivity Project, 
which was some original music and some other music that I loved, Bale fucking the Flectones mm-hmm. and uh, Pat Metheny. Mm. I had I did the Truth Will Always Be from Secret Story hmm. with a you know, fifteen piece string section. Um, the my friend Emily conducted it. She's now the director of bands at the University of Minnesota. Okay, you know, um, you know, five piece rock band and uh, five dancers. My friend Shauna mm-hmm. brought in everything as the choreographer, and then like uh there were two giant projection screens over a hundred lighting cues wow uh the projection screens were improvised as well so i had a director of photography doing that it was a seven camera shoot damn and then i mixed it all that's how i learned pro tools it's where i got my studio chops um and so i mixed it all on pro tools created a feature length dvd from it and i still have it nice yeah um You know, outside of that, like I was playing in this wedding band called the Dan Rafferty Band, where I played all over the state. Um, there was the night that Kid Rock sat in with us. That was fun. Hmm. Um, hmm. He he was a really down to earth guy. Michigan kid, you know, you know, just yeah, a, like know, regular it, little Michigan. Kid. Yeah, it was crazy. Like, um, you know, we, we were playing at this birthday party for the head of Rock Financial, who sponsored the Pistons and his box seats were next to mm. Kid Rock's back box seats. So they knew each other. He showed up. We played a couple of his tunes and then he says, Hey, can you play some Chuck Berry? So we did like Johnny be good and Maybelline. And yeah, yeah. He was like into it. Huh? Yeah. Okay. And Kid then rock. Yeah. And then we wound up hanging out till like 4am. Of course. You know, and he, you know, when we talked, he's like, Hey man, I'm Bobby. Like no, ah, none of this, right. you know, I mean, he could have been like, dude, I'm a rock star or whatever. No, man, I'm Bobby. Nice to meet you. And we were chatting just like That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So after two years in Ann Arbor, what happens? Uh, So back to... uh, Three years at school. Right. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Three. Um, And then then, one just hanging. And one just playing professionally. And then um, I got hired in the video studio and the audio studio as well. Mm. So again, just keeping those chops going. Mm -hmm. Um, And... You know, I was teaching private lessons uh, out at Dexter High, and I had like That's 35 funny. students a week. Shout um, out to Tashiba. Yeah, yeah, man. So much. Let, the, the, this whole conversation is kind of just yeah. orbiting around Tashiba. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> like your podcast does, right? <laughs> More uh, often than not. Yeah. Jesus. Hi, Todd. Um, you know, and I'm spending my summers teaching at Interlochen. And yeah. Like that. Interlochen is where I became great friends with some amazing people, like uh, friends who play in major symphony orchestras. Mm. That's how I went to Cuba. Hmm. Cool. Uh, yeah. When uh, was that? Uh, the first trip was in 2010. Nice. And then most recently in 2019. I, so a touring a touring company that would go down there, cultural exchange kind um, of thing? Kind of, yeah. So the first time, uh, it's a dear friend, Mike Davison. He teaches at the University of Richmond. And he, you know, he also ran the brass area at Interlochen, and that's how I got to you know, know him, and we, we got to talking. And he's an ethnomusicologist, studies Cuban music, and so mm. he said, hey, I'm going. You want to go? The answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, my mom's going to shoot me for this, but bless her heart, you know, she calls me the night before I go, and she says, now you're not going to smoke a cigar while you're there, are you? Are you kidding me? And I said, Mom... I'm going to Cuba. If there's one time in my life, I'm totally going to do it. I'm totally going to smoke a Cuban cigar. Oh, absolutely. So sorry. Yeah. (laughs) And she'll she'll be mortified that I I say this, but it's a great story. Um, How was it? it Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. No, the the cigar. 
again, <laughs> this answer still stands. <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah, and then I wound up going again in 2019 and performing at the Santiago de Cuba wow. Jazz Festival. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, like all of those experiences, yeah, like at, at Michigan, I really did. I became the artist. Uh, you know, I was able to figure out mm-hmm. okay, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. This is what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then, you know, in that year off, I was like, okay, I, I do want to finish a doctorate. It's a promise I made to myself early on. Mm-hmm. So, um, Tim had left Potsdam at that point and was at U of A. Mm. So I went down, auditioned. Um, you know, it was a he, kind of a shoe in at that point. You know, to his credit, um, he made me play everything I prepared. Hmm. Like, you know, um, and I appreciated that. Mm. You know, he asked for an hour's worth of music and I had an hour's worth of music and he mm. heard all of it. Mm. And part of it I get, you know, he was he was brand new there. Mm. And you know, not to, right. No nepotism. Exactly. Yeah. This, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm fresh here. Let's you yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, and you know, I showed up and was like, all right, you know, kick ass. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm going to do. And, and this is the PhD program at, yes. at U of A. Yeah. It, it's technically called a DMA. Um, the difference is that it's a performance-based degree gotcha. versus a research-based degree. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, like, you, you know, um, I did have to write a dissertation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it was more based around... Like the repertoire I was studying, the recitals I gave. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, so yeah, while I was at U of A, I actually won the concerto competition. My and, man. Yeah. Won what it. does that mean uh, exactly? So they have you learn a concerto for your instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, I chose the Alexander Glazunov concerto. I, you know, as and, you do. I yeah. Mean. Well, I mean, it, 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 I do believe it's one of our masterworks. And, ah. You know, and you, there'll be people that'll, you know. Again, they're lighting their torches and pitchforks, yeah, but, yep. but it really is. saxophonist in the history of the school to have ever won wow yeah congrats thanks and with that um you get i got two performances with the orchestra cool yeah and that was awesome what'd you do you played the glass of oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Play, you played that oh concert. i see i see yeah 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 you get to perform it on a larger scale exactly yeah. with, with you, you get to perform it as it was intended mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know because super cool yeah you know i mean you're studying classical music and it's awesome. And there are, you know, like I said, I loved it and can nerd out about classical saxophone more than anybody wants to hear. (laughs) Um, but you don't always get the opportunity to perform in front of, you know, a concert band or in front of, uh, an orchestra as the soloist, Mm -hmm. because who the hell's got that kind of money? Right. You know, I mean, right. You know what you got to pay a four-piece band, right? Right. Now, uh, inflate that to ninety. Yeah. No. 
you know, like, yeah. So I will say, I, I just saw the who. Yeah. And, uh, the first, I don't know, third of the show had a full orchestra yep. behind them. Oh yeah. And I was like, logistically speaking, I mean, there must mm-hmm. be local hires, right? Yeah. Yeah. There, there were there a lot, the, I, I the, had a lot of friends, you know, on the show. Phoenix symphony or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, all right, so maybe they can save some bread. But there's still... uh, But you're still paying scale. Yes. And there's like 75 people on stage Mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, the who can afford it. Right. Sure. I don't have that kind of money to hire... Dr. Dan. You know, as as much as I want to. Right. And I've done some cool things and like some studio orchestra stuff that, you know, but it was on a smaller scale and because... I don't have that kind of budget. It was right. people willing to owe me a favor or I could call in favors right. and they would work for pizza and beer or mm-hmm. far less than far less financially than they deserved. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful that those folks were willing to sacrifice yeah. for the experience. Cool. All right. So, so that's what brought you down to U of A. Yep. And that's then, what brought you to Arizona. Yeah. It's what brought me to Arizona. And the crazy part was after a year at U of A, Tim went to ASU. Okay. And so I jumped ship and followed him as his TA. Mm-hmm. And that's where I met Sam Palafian. Um, you might not know Sam. Sam I was don't. the tuba professor at ASU. Um, one of, if not the most important tuba pedagogue ever. Whoa. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sam. Sam. Sam played with everybody. Okay. Um, toured with Lionel Hampton, toured with Louis Armstrong, founded the Empire Brass Quintet, played tuba on tracks for The Wall, mm. has been featured on an episode of Mr. Rogers. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Like, yeah. Of all the things you just described, being on Mr. Rogers Dude, is probably it's, the coolest. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... I was very fortunate because I'm, I mean, I'm studying with McAllister on the saxophone side and I was very fortunate that Sam took me on as a student for two years. Mm -hmm. Um, and those lessons were unbelievably cool, Mm -hmm. uh, because it, it was a lot of focusing on like commercial writing Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, this is being the TA at ASU. Uh, I was a TA for two years under, under Uh, Tim, under, under McAllister. And then, uh, sorry, after that, um, after that TA ship expired, I wound up running the sound and recording department mm. for a couple mm. of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I'm finishing my doctorate, you know, Sam took me on as an independent study in writing commercial music. Mm. And so, like, literally <laughs> what he would do, he would call me, that guy... <laughs> Sam passed away a few years ago and it's a huge loss in the music world. But dude, that this is what he would do. Okay. He would call me at like midnight on a Monday. My lessons were at 10 a.m. on Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. Like midnight on Monday. Yo, man, it's Sam. I need you to write me a 28-second commercial for a fish company. Have it to go and pitch it on Wednesday. Click. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know, like it, it's that line from Spaceballs. Welcome to real life. You know, and and that's what I would do. Yeah. And so like he'd have me write commercials for the Marines. He had me write mm. commercial for uh you know like that fish company. Like that's mm-hmm. a real one. I've got mm-hmm. all of these. Or 
I had like a, a scene for. So is he paying you for this stuff? No, no, no. This was my lesson. This is my homework assignment. So somebody's getting paid. No, 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 no. Like this is all, this is all like a phantom assignment. I see. Yeah. This isn't a real thing. This this is, I'm taking. He's not actually placing this music. No, 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 no. This wasn't actually for a legit company. Okay. Okay. This was, this was just like, here's a real world, real life scenario. Right. Got you. And then we're going to critique it so that. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so that when you're in the situation mm-hmm. and you're working with somebody, right? Yeah, you know, like having them be like, it needs to be bluer, right? Right, doesn't phase you, right? Right, you know, you don't sit there right. and say, what? what the hell do you mean, blue? <laughs> okay, right, you know, right? So, so yeah, it was like that kind of that's really real cool world shit, yeah. yeah. And and some days he'd be like, yo, man, bring your banjo. Hmm. And we'd just play tunes. Hmm. And then that lesson would bleed into the next person's lesson and they'd play tunes with me and I'd be their rhythm section. And then, hmm. yeah. Hmm. Wow. What an incredible experience. Oh, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it's terrifying to me, but it sounds awesome. Yeah. Well, well I couldn't the, hang in these scenarios. Well, but you know, like I, I, I mean, you got to realize I, I was, I, I still am a giant nerd about all this shit. Mm. You know, so like the minutia, the detail, mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. When I started as an undergrad, I started practicing four hours a day as a freshman. Mm-hmm. So by the time I was in grad school, I was practicing seven, eight hours a day and not as a badge of honor, but because like w- one learning for me takes more time. Mm-hmm. So I needed to spend a lot more time on the instrument mm-hmm. and two, I loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah. I am so fortunate that my wife accepts me as a giant nerd mm-hmm. because, like, to me, wh- you know, what's an ideal Saturday? <laughs> Sitting in my room practicing scales for two to three hours. Oh my god! So, like, that bless her. Heart. That is fun for me. <laughs> I enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, it's like the least sexy thing in the world, right. but right, but but no, like like understanding yeah. that and and acquiring yeah. that skill and everything mm-hmm. else, like that, that's always fascinating to me mm-hmm. and wanting to see where it goes, you know. So the minutia of that, I love that, mm-hmm. and so you know, getting that kind of like high pressure, you have an assignment mm-hmm. due in twenty four right. hours, right. and it needs to be a twenty eight second commercial rating for fish, right? Yeah, you know, or for a fish company, rather, right? Right. You know. Um. It set me up mm-hmm. for a lot of the high stakes writing that happens to me now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, while I was in the middle of that, I got a call from a friend of mine who had another friend who was putting out a short film for the Las Vegas Film Festival. And she was like, hey, it's a short film. I need a score by Friday. Mm-hmm. Is this something you'd be interested in? Sure. Hmm. That call happened Wednesday morning. Hmm. So I was up all night Wednesday and writing and watching the film and yeah, yeah, sussing yeah. it out. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Thursday I tracked it and, hmm. you know, hmm. by, you know, by 5 a.m. Friday morning, she had the final track. Wow. And it was set. But welcome to real life. Right. You know, or, you know, you get a call and... You know, like you get a call for a gig and all of a sudden, you know, they need horns. Cool. And there's, you know, 20 tunes mm. 
and no charts gig, no charts but you've got a five-piece horn section <laughs> right. and you know the gig is friday and right. it's tuesday right yeah you know same shit yeah. so so High that pressure yeah it it it, it prepares you, you yeah know, it 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 it's almost a muscle. Is it a muscle? You know? I, I think so. Or, or at least you know, it becomes a habit where mm-hmm. like right. you can turn it on. Habitual. Yeah. You know, it, you know, like uh, Danny Torgerson. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, on the writing side, like, you know, Captain Squeegee, like their mm-hmm. last big video, what was it called? Our Children. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw it. It's the one with him know. in the DeLorean, which... I got to be in the video and sit in a DeLorean. So, yeah. So you're like, I'm, oh, I'm in. Oh, yeah. There, Shay took a picture of it, um, you know, and I'm sitting there singing Power of Love like uh-huh. you. Um, but I did the horns for that. Mm. You know, he hit me up and I had about three days mm. and I percolated, percolated, percolated. And then on Sunday from 5 to 6 p.m., mm. there was the horn chart. Mm. Mm. You know, and, and literally, I think... Um, they edited one thing out. Hmm. Everything else is as it was written. Hmm. And, and it was an artistic decision where I had an ascending pyramid and then a descending pyramid and they didn't want the descending part. Got you. Yeah. You know, but like that, that's the thing you, you, you do it enough where it's like, Oh, okay. I can, mm-hmm. you know, now you can I call on that. You yeah. can recall that thing. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be like if I asked you to sit down, you know, Hey man, uh, I need you to write me a song by Friday. Mm-hmm. What's the topic? Yeah, right. You know, well, and, and, and it's what's like the a, mood? Exactly. You know, give yeah. me these things. You know? Yep, and you know, because you've done enough songwriting, you can tap into it, and you, know, it's not, you know, like I'm not going to say I hit a home run every time because mm-hmm. you can't, right? You know, but I'm real successful a lot of the time, and it's because. Mm-hmm. Of that it, training. Because of that training and also because uh, of falling on my face. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like I started arranging when I was 15 mm. and the first time I totally fucked it up. Mm. You know, it sounded like mittens on a piano. Right. Now, you know, like, you know, I mean, you've heard Lee's last two singles. Yeah. You know, you know, and I heard you guys at the show at the Womack in, yeah. uh, earlier this month. Yeah. Yeah, but you Sounds know, like, great. like you know, with the mm-hmm. the full horn section, Roger and everything, that. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, okay, well, I can get that and suss it out, and okay, right. I know the vibe you're going for because right. I've done so much of it, right? Yeah, you know? right. So, like that, that's where the training comes in, and that's where it kicks in. Yeah. yeah, and the cool part is having not just the, you know, like the working musician background because I've been a working musician nonstop since I was 15. I've played every New Year's Eve since I was 15. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, but also having that, like I draw on my classical background so much. Mm-hmm. I draw on my jazz background so much mm-hmm. for all of that mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, Oh, you know, like Lee was like, I want this to be like, you know, kind of in your face and crunchy. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. I'm going to do crunch chords. This. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. And he, and he's like, Oh yeah. Okay. That's cool. Right. You know, yeah. Or, or, oh, wait, this is more like on the tower side of things. Okay, mm-hmm, well, then mm-hmm. we do that. Right. You know? Interesting. Yeah. So so that's where it all comes from. And mm-hmm. then, you know, if I'm writing for myself, I try to add in humor as well. Mm. So like, you know, and again, it's because there were, I started tracking it uh, between 2014 and 2017. I wrote more than a thousand charts. For what? 
Uh, just horn, for gigs or ho- yep, yeah. gigs, horn mm. sections, rhythm sections, mm-hmm. original commissions, you mm-hmm. name it. Mm. Um, and like I stopped tracking it after 2017 just cause I was like, okay, the, you, you, you get the point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I've done that. Um, but like, you know, if you, like you do like a lucky devil's hit or, or anything where there's a, a horn section and you'll notice like one, I've written a lot of horns to tunes that don't have it, mm. which I find fun and interesting. And two, there's a lot of jokes. Mm-hmm. Like, so you're referencing, Oh, like I put so many Easter eggs into stuff. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, if it's an original work, like I honor the, you know, mm-hmm. the goal is to honor the music. Right. But like, um, you know, there's a, there's a Renaissance term called text painting hmm. where the music follows the text. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So like you, you, um, for example, um, the Bach B minor mass when the, the words they talk about, you know, and, and yeah, Christ descending into hell mm-hmm. or it's either the B minor mass or the St. Matthew passion. Again, fact check me. It's one of those. We'll get some hate mail. Yeah. Um, but as they say, you know, he, and he descended the line is, and it, mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm, it, it descends mm-hmm. right, to right. show right. what's going on. Right. So sometimes I do that like mm-hmm. a horn chart for cake by the ocean. In the break, you may hear short skirt, long jacket. That goes into. Yeah. So you get cake, short skirt, long jacket by Zeppelin's The Ocean. Right, right. And that's the gag. Yeah. Or like I did, there's a thing in 24 Karat Magic, right? The the line, spend your money like money ain't shit. Yeah, spend your money. The horns go. The bass line from Pink Floyd Money. All right. Yeah, I got you. So, so you know, I throw in those kinds of things. Little niblets. Yeah, you know, something that's that I find funny, or you know, that that works. Like my horn chart for Billy Jean. You know, apologies to Jerry Hay because. He's the master and did all the Michael work. Uh, but, you know, like the out vamp, mm. the horns start quoting, I want my MTV. Mm. <laughs> right? Because that that's the video that right. really right. took off with right. MTV. So what's next for, for Dr. Dan Puccio? What, what's, what's real life now looking like? Oh, man. Well, yeah, I've got my two girls. Two girls, yep. Yeah. Two and? Two and seven months. Holy moly. Yep. And Are you getting any sleep? Surprisingly, yes. Okay. Yeah, they they both sleep through the night. Um, right. Yeah, and they're awesome. My oldest, Mora, is yeah. I mean, she's awesome and probably going to be a tuba player because like oh. that that's her favorite instrument. No right? kidding. Oh, seriously, I put on one of Sam's records and she just goes crazy. All right. Yeah. It it, it like like. <laughs> And starts dancing and, you know, and, and I mean, of course she's a two year old, so she's a, a, just a giant tornado everywhere right. she goes. Right. Um, and my youngest Meredith, I mean, she's starting to get vocal. She said Dada the other day. Oh, yeah. Did it melt your heart? Oh, absolutely. And yep. she's got this smile that, you know, just lights up a room. Yeah. So there's that. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm staying real busy gig wise. Good. You know, between the lucky devils, I work with show tune productions. I mean, I'm involved at the musicians union. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, and then other writing projects, like I'm working with, with Lee Pereira. Mm -hmm. I did the horns for his last two singles. Awesome. Oh yeah. It, which is a lot of fun. I bet. Um, Lee's great. Oh, absolutely. I actually just tracked a couple of sessions, uh, for Steve Burns Mm -hmm. as well. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm getting to do like different writing here and there. Um, you know, I did a string session for Ben Anderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of months ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I've worked on a couple of Ben's singles before like, yeah. uh, that, the single he did lukewarm. I did the horns for that. Um, and I've got an arrangement commission for, uh, the university of Richmond up in January. So nice. it's, a, so it's a lot of interesting stuff. I'm just Good. waiting for the, you know, the, the Brian Chartrand record to come <clears> in and put horns on. I know? think we and, all are. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, you know, just being, you know, so, so, not so subtle about it, you know, but yeah, I mean, between that, you know, we've got the sweet and low horns. Yeah. Uh, that's my, my horn section. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, you know, a blast to play with those guys yeah. every chance we get. And who, who, who all is in that? All right. So it started off uh, with Danny Doyle, myself, um, Anthony Reed and Shay mm-hmm. and Barry. And then we need a fifth. We add in Jason Davis mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that that's the core group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we get to go and, uh, you know, when we, when we get hired, like tracking at Clark's is a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah and, Clark is great. Yeah. 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 And you know, it, it's, it's a blast to, to kind of wear the production hat mm-hmm. as well and sit with Clark and be like, okay, you know, this is, mm-hmm. Yeah. But he's also a master at that. Oh, shit. oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, you know, like that's the the people that I learned to be on the other side of the desk from are unreal. Like mm-hmm. again, working with Clark, uh, Dave Greenspan back at University of Michigan. Him and his partner um, in the video studio, Jacques Mercereau. Like those two guys taught me so much. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, working with Clark. Um, you know, working with Keith Munson, you know, who's one of my absolute best friends in the world, you know, and he, he's, is he here? No, he's at, he's in LA. Okay. Um, he's one of the studio managers at East West. That's right. We were yeah. talking about that. Yeah. 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 So, well, we, uh, you know, and, and Clark Rigsby at yeah. Tempest recording in Tempe. Yeah. <clears throat> any local musician should treat themselves, uh, to that experience oh. recording there, tracking there. He's Yeah. He's really Clark's world class. Yeah. You know, I mean, his resume speaks for itself, but the coolest part about working with Clark is it doesn't matter if like you can be Paul McCartney Mm. or you could be an ASU student and Mm -hmm. he's going to treat you with the The same same. level of respect and the same level of quality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, he delivers a high quality product. Yeah. You know, but, but you know what I mean? Like for him, it's about the project mm-hmm. and about doing justice to the music mm-hmm. and everyone that I've ever learned from or worked with, like that's been the deal, mm-hmm. you know, serve the song, serve right. the music. Right. Right. Yeah. And that, that, that's what it's about. But that's often lost, you know, that sometimes people can get away from that, you know, yeah. but I, but I would agree that, that, that Clark, um, uh, serves the song and understands a number of genres to be able to serve the song in an appropriate way. Absolutely. You know, but as a musician serving the song can sometimes get lost because you need to sure. be you, you, there's a sense of self and, and, yeah. and, and ego, not necessarily in a bad way, but th- I need to, I need to show this or whatever. And, but th- I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned. And, and again, we are so fortunate to, to have such an incredible yeah 
musical community here. And more often than not, that 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 is the approach, yeah. right? It's served just serve the song, and we can all go home happy. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to. What are we trying to do here? You know, um, where can people go to find what you're doing? Do you have a website oh, yeah, or? I, I do. I've got like a LinkedIn. What do you? Yeah, DanPuccioMusic.com. Okay. Yeah, I, right. I've got a few links. I I haven't updated it in a while. Mm-hmm. I need to. Mm-hmm. You know, I I did a little bit of work on it over the summer, but I need to go back and yeah. You know, because there, there's been more stuff that I've been working on and yeah. that's out there. Um, otherwise, I'm, I'm trying to be better on Instagram and oh, Facebook, know. too. That's a drag. You know, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm not really great <laughs> at the social media side of things. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that a lot of the work that I get comes from having done good work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you're a musician's musician. Well, you know, Chip, uh, Chip's first uh, solo show, he, he might not know of you, you yeah. know, but once he, once that person kind of digs into the scene a little bit yeah. and someone says, Hey, I need, I need a, I need a sax or a string chart or, mm-hmm. or, a, or a horn chart. You're the guy, you're the first yeah. call. Yeah. Well, or, or I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's a bunch of great arrangers in town yeah. too. Agreed. I mean, you know, like dude, Steve McCarville, Derek mm-hmm. Nellis, mm-hmm. you know, like, I mean, and that says nothing about. Well, Mike Crotty, uh, who's a that guy, man. What a legend! Hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah. If you if you don't know Mike, man, he was the main arranger for the Airmen of Note. Okay. Yeah, he's heavy. Okay. Yeah, heavy cats. And again, one like to a T. Like the the beautiful part about this scene is that there's enough work for everybody. Yeah, and yeah. it's supportive. Right. For that. Agreed. You know, like, you know, I mean, Steve and I were talking, McCarvel, and I were talking the other day. I was like, you know, like, you got a commission. I'm thrilled for you. Right. And he's like the same way. And, right. and Derek's the same way. You know, yeah. like, it's not, it's not, a, oh, why didn't they call me? Like, right. no, man. And there's certain stuff where Steve's the better call. Right. Right. Like, and, and I'll tell you that. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, uh, yeah. Not that I can't do it, but. Right. You know, for like, this particular yeah. thing. He yeah, might, exactly. Know, yeah. You know, his, no, his voice is right. We're the same way in, in the sense, you know, in, in, in the so- singer songwriter uh, community, you know, I have a, I have a list of, of friends that if I can't do it, I'm, I'm more than happy. Yeah. These are incredible musicians. Um, no, we are, we are very fortunate. I'm fortunate. Uh, you're, we're fortunate. Yeah. To, to be a part of this great community. And I think the community is fortunate to have you as well. And uh, loved the chat. I loved, you know, as a fellow, you know, East Coaster, we have yeah. some things in common. And, and we didn't even touch on uh, you teaching um, the history of rock and roll. Yeah. This is for the second part of the podcast, which we'll do later. All right. Um, but I love what you yeah. do. And uh, I'm really happy you. for you being a new father and and exploring this okay. next phase of the life you know it, it's a blast it, yeah. re- it really i'm i'm lucky man yeah i, I really am like yeah. i make my living as a musician yeah you know i like when i go to work i work with friends yeah you know, <laughs> I know. You know yeah. and, and like okay well whatever you know it's a wedding but it's also like an important moment for those those right. people as well and i get to provide that right you know and yeah it, like it, it's a it's a really cool place to be where I can take work that I enjoy. Right, right. You know? Take it when you need it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
Dan, I appreciate your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Really, it's been a blast. <laughs> we'll see you around town. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.